Hello and welcome to Starting Eleven, the podcast that gives you the chance to get to know the cynics a little bit better through the cunning use of numbers. There'll be plenty of Celtic chat, but hopefully by the end of it, you'll know a wee bit more about the people who make the podcasts that you listen to day after day. I'm Paul Carlin, and in this episode, I'm joined by one of the most Italian-sounding, but least Italian-living cynics. Welcome to Starting Eleven, Lorenzo Pacitti. Buongiorno, Paul. Mm, I wish you wouldn't do that. Buongiorno. Um, Buongiorno, no cynic listeners. <laughs> okay, like, okay, good. You are. I'm back on board. Enjoyed that, um, Lorenzo. Uh, how are you? How's life? I'm good. It's very sunny here of an evening, which is nice. It really perks the mood up. My girlfriend's away on a walk while I talk to you on this Zoom call to get out of the house. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's much, it's a much nicer place to be. The football is rounding into. I think we'll talk about it during this podcast. But following the Celtic men's and women's teams, you get the men's team kind of rounding into like a record-setting season mm-hmm. where it's so fun to watch and that's like a nice way to end the season and the women's team are in the midst of a, a three-headed insane three-point separating them title fight with a split that makes you play the other teams twice yeah. so it's a bit insane over there um, At the time of recording uh, the men's team are flying high 12 points clear in the league um, with the semi-final coming quite soon and the women's team are two points off the top um, but yeah, it's a really strange three-way race for uh, for the for top space and for top place in that uh, that league. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about the women's team and the men's team as we go. But I mean, I think that the I watched the game, the women's game on Sunday last week against Glasgow City, and like proper exciting stuff. Like for anyone, I mean, Lorenzo, we we hear you predominantly on the Celtic women's football show, uh, lots of other pods as well. But what's like, what's the main reason to go and watch the women's team? Uh, see, even just from like a, if this wasn't a Celtic podcast, as a neutral kind of way, there's so little between the top three. Obviously, it's a three-team race because we've got three professional teams and the rest are semi-professional or getting there or whatever. Um, and it's Celtic Rangers and Glasgow City. But the the big games between them are so varied. The teams are so level that it makes everything really, really intense. Um, the Celtic women's team manager, Fran Alonso, has his faults and some tactics, but he likes to play the Celtic way. He likes to to move the ball about really fast. He's not really um, precious about possession either. It's kind of old school. Um, the team is just really fun to watch. They're very likable. Uh, there's a few things we need to change in terms of how we can get people involved and what would make more fans kind of come to the games or feel part of it. Uh, but in general, I think if you're on the fence, the minute you see a team come out in hoops on a football pitch, you get the exact same feeling. So what you're getting is a a kind of a title race that you've never seen really for the men's team in Scotland for years and years and years. So it's a kind of different atmosphere in that sense. But you still have that Celtic need to win every game and that expectation to win every game. So it doesn't really change how you feel watching these games. It can be torturous, but it's a lot of really good football and a lot of big results. Awesome. That's some sell. Um, and I totally agree with you about like the team is full of personalities. Like you, you, there's, there's players in that team that you you feel a real kind of connection to. It's hard to explain. Um, but we'll talk about that a bit more. Um, let's get started. I mean, so so you're gonna you're gonna answer numerical questions based on your life and your Celtic story from one to eleven. I have crunched the numbers as I do every episode of this, and we're doing this in random order. But we're going to start with question one. So Lorenzo Bacitti. Tell us, the listeners, about the first Celtic game you ever went to. It's the year 2000. Mm. The new millennium is born. And I attend the Millennium Challenge Friendly, Celtic <laughs> versus Bayern Munich. 
Wow. With my uncle, my dad, and my brother. The, a game that saw the unveiling of the Lisbon Lion stand. No um, way. Yeah. And my so my dad and my my uncle. My dad is not a big football guy. He he ran a chippy in Shettleston for thirty years. So my dad could kind of live his life without football because it creates a lot of hassle uh, for him. But his uh, his dad was a big Celtic guy, and my granddad, and my mum's side, was a big Celtic guy. So that's where my love of Celtic comes from. They kind of right above me. It's more hassle than it's worth. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't taking to games as like a a two year old. I'm not one of these kids on uh, TikTok that sees the stadium for the first time. That kind of thing. Um, so it was wasn't until there was like a friendly game where it was kind of a big occasion, but at the same time easy to get tickets. Uh, the kind of atmosphere you can take kids along to, and you don't really feel like they're. You can sit and talk, and you can sit and kind of just take in the game as a kid instead of feeling like you're annoying your dad because he's watching the game. Uh, so I feel like that would have been the reason a friendly game was my first game, but it was yeah, Bayern Munich coming to town. You know, awesome, yeah, I think so. Superb. I'm I'm just looking at the the lineup for it, and Fernando de Ornelas played in this game. So like you got to see the the legend, first, um, he's the trial legend trialist. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Um, the team that day: Kerr, McNamara, Stubbs, Boyd, Mahi, Petrov, Healy, de Ornelas, Peta, Burchill, and Viduka. Um, bunch of subs came on as well, including like Paul Lambert, Tommy Johnson, Reggie Blinker, yeah, Johan Mialbi, Dimitri Karin played the second half. Um. Yeah, you Mark saw Burchill some. With the, Mark Burchill with the first goal I ever saw scored for Celtic in person. Um, I the, the Bayern Munich team looked pretty solid as well, to be honest, um, as they were in those days. Right, that's great. That's a very unexpected, uh, surprising, but but pretty cool first game. Um, well, I feel like it's, it's lucky because it was easy for me to remember because I always kind of picture it. I can see, you know, I was quite young. I was, what, eight? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see... My view from the pitch, I was sitting in the main stand. I can see, I can see that in my head where I was. I was really low down the main stand. Um, and I remember throwing up a hot dog in the way out because it's one of those stories like, like my uncle will bring it up because it's one of the four things he remembers about me. <laughs> Throw up a hot dog outside Parkhead. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just sticks in your head. Great. Love it. Um, okay. Next question. Question three. Which three places, Lorenzo Pacitti, would you like to visit that you haven't already visited? Um, Nashville. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see Nashville. Big fan of country music in general, and just the whole atmosphere of Nashville seems really cool. Seems like a nice place to be. Um, I've kind of answered this like holidays. I'm kind of wanting to actually do instead of some far flung, insane place. I've got quite a general taste for holidays. I want to go to San Sebastian. Yeah, food, 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 yeah. food, food. Yeah, I mean, I've never been, but um, I think it looks. Absolutely superb. It seems like one of these places that it's, yeah, you just go and you take a whole fucking bunch of money and just eat in a lot of nice places. Yeah, I had um, two pals that did like uh, their year abroad at uni, whatever you call it, the Erasmus stuff. They did it in San Sebastian before San Sebastian was kind of cool. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like really well known and everyone was watching it on like food travel shows and all that. And uh, they ate at McDonald's like every day. And that was what our <laughs> reference was for it, just someplace in Spain. And then the minute they come back, you see San Sebastian like on the telly and it just looks so beautiful. And the I think what is it got the highest the highest like proportion of Michelin star restaurants in like one area, like a, a mile or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just looks like a great place. You have to be careful though, right? Like, you know, just because something's got a Michelin star doesn't mean it's good. Does I know, it? You can convince yourself it does, you know. If it's I think it's one of those ways when you commit to it. You can always tell yourself you had a good a good time or a good meal. 
but what if you're like four hundred pound down, right? Um, and you've had a shite dinner. Well, I'm very much. I can be quite tight, but I feel like if I commit to spending big money on something, for even if it's to detriment to myself, I will embrace the fact that it's good. Okay, like I'll just convince myself it was money well spent, like buying a record shop. Fake it till you make it. Oh yeah, we'll maybe come to that a bit later. <laughs> um, uh, Real Sociedad is the local football team, so you could probably get a ticket for that. I'm sure. Um, are they, I think they're having an alright season. Come to think of it, this season. Do they not go? Do they not go all the way down, or not all the way down? But they not do quite, quite a drop, and then on their way back. Um, I couldn't tell you, mate. Also, um, are they baddies? Like, I want funny feeling they're baddies. Yeah, I, I want to check actually. I, your like fan base. Um, it doesn't really doesn't say, but you never know if they're, you know. Are they Nazis? Are they anti anti uh, fascists? Who knows? Um, if anyone knows, I don't know. I could say get in touch, but I'm not. I'm not going to like follow this up. So let's just move on. That's San Sebastian. Um, Where else? Uh, I would say I kind of want to say New York, but I've been to New York. But I was like 13, and I know it's somewhere I've been already. But I want to go as an adult just to experience New York. Like with my own agenda, and not as like a tourist. Can we went from like my mum's fiftieth, forty something? I don't know, something big. Um, and I remember kind of enjoying it, but we were there for like five days, and it was a lot of um the tourist stuff, and nothing particularly special happened. You know, uh, sounds like I've experienced New York, and it's somewhere I want to experience that or Lake Como as well. Lake Como. Oh. Yeah, haven't been to both of those places as an adult. I can highly recommend them both. Yeah, go go to New York as an adult. It's a class place. Like it's yeah. you know, I mean, it's New York. You can go and hang out with Eddie Walsh. You know, at the very least. I know um, that's, that's the number one the agenda. Yeah. So on Island. Yeah, I mean, there you go. So right, okay. So San Sebastian, New York, and Nashville, the three places you'd like to visit. That's great. Thank you, Lorenzo. Uh, next question. It's question four. Uh, ask this question to I think Graham McKay. Um, and I don't know, I just like it, because everyone's answers will be different. I would like to hear your ultimate Celtic back four and worst ever Celtic back four. You can pick players from any period of history. Okay, so consistently with any kind of questions, well, you're going to ask me about players. I like to try and keep it to players I've definitely like seen regularly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've got a real awareness of, I'm not trying to pretend um, uh, I've seen every game that the Lions ever played, do you know what I mean? Ah, you're, you're not going to put Danny McGrain in, for example. Well, starting it right back, Danny yes. McGrain. <laughs> okay, so uh, classic Lorenzo Swerve there, uh, but obviously, yeah, I mean, fair enough, right? Well, it's I Danny feel McGrain. like this is the thing when I was thinking this, I was like, the full-back positions for Celtic in general, I think you've got, if you were to tier them, Danny McGrain is so far on a tier of his own in terms of prestige, in terms of uh, ability, consensus among the Celtic fans and then just as, a, as somebody I'm aware of uh, in you know modern times being around the club, the respect he gets you know Brendan Rodgers talked you know about the respect that I'm a so I think he is he kind of transcends this idea that I need to have seen them because I feel like to not pick Graham when I'm given this option seems silly because I think the drop would be so outrageous down to like a right back I've I've seen play like a McNamara just doesn't have that magic when I say his name when I'm comparing him to Danny McGrain you know Alistair Johnson dead in a ditch I mean Alistair Johnson's in my top five. Oh, okay not bad I which like is Alistair kind of Johnson. insane but I think it's probably true 
Okay, so that's your right back. Let's go to your left back. Uh, Kieran Tierney. Yep. And I think, again, with this back four, I'm kind of also picking players that play the way I'd want my back four to play. And I want them to be able to kind of complement each other. And I think Tierney, you know, the closest, um, the football Celtic play that I like the best is Ange, is Ange Ball. Mm-hmm. And I don't think necessarily think Tierney's cut out for Ange Ball like on the face of it, but I think he's such a high quality player. He's um, has everything I want in a fullback. And I think he's still, I know he plays for Arsenal, but I still think he's massively underrated and he will go somewhere if it's not going to be Arsenal and and thrive as a starting left back. Uh, I think he's been a wee bit hampered down there by injuries and somebody with the quality of Zinchenko coming in. Mm. Uh, but I really think Kieran Tierney kind of has everything. I think you see it when he's thriving at his best for Scotland. Yeah, um, He is just a player that I can't overlook. And the fact that he's, you know, anyone that's like ball boy to starting Champions League star is, is, is fun for Celtic. Great. Yeah, agreed, man. Um, he's, he's the best we've seen in our lifetime, for sure. Um, okay, centre-halves. Centre-halves, Virgil van Dijk and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Nice, PVD and CCV. I think their their ability speaks for itself. Um, I think if I had to rank them, I would put CCV above Virgil van Dijk, just for me. I think okay. he's just... You see a, a defender like CCV that's in the midst of this squad we all love so much, this squad that's setting records, and he's still potentially the favourite for player of the year, two years in the bounce, you know. Stuff like that is, mm-hmm. is insane. I think we need to appreciate it while we've got it. Um, I think the two of them together, CCV is somebody that's getting more comfortable bringing the ball out a little bit, but he can at least kind of start attacks. He's got that mentality, but in by Ange to know how to play football from the back. Yeah, And next to somebody like Virgil at his best is just so far beyond the MDLs bringing the ball out from the back. I think if you had a back four like that, you've really got some attacking uh, basis to go off kind of playing out from the back. Uh, do you think that with CCV, we've actually got a, a player who's even better than some of us could like imagine? I think from I think when CCV signed, the transfer made sense, but it made sense in like a football manager way. You know, it's <laughs> like a loan, like a loan player who's bounced around, but he was kind of, you know, he's really good in the championship. And that is what some people think should be like a Celtic signing or a Rangers signing. Somebody that's really good in championship. The championship is full of shit. Like it is full of shit players and they come mm-hmm. up here and they get chucked about. So there was always that worry with CCV, particularly the fact he'd kind of been in and out of playing football. He had that tag on him as a young player at Tottenham. You know, there's really high quality managers who get turned over at Tottenham who kept CCV around. You know, he kept getting new deals. It's just the nature of that horrible club and the nature of the Premier League that they have to just sign some new star over and over again mm-hmm. and they're not going to bleed somebody that come in. So I think when you, we look back with hindsight, the signing of CCV is so obvious, but then we get so lucky with the actual quality he has that he was never bled into that Tottenham side quicker. And now we're dealing with a player who could walk into that Tottenham side. Do you know, I don't doubt he could. Um, love the guy. Um, Virgil, I mean, you know, we've talked about Virgil plenty in these days. I think his, his um, ability speaks for itself. Um yeah, I, 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 I sometimes wonder if he actually could have achieved more at Celtic, uh, but I don't know. Well, he was playing with slippers on quite a lot, Aye. which is, again, you know, it's a short career. I don't necessarily think bad of Virgil van Dijk for strolling his way through games that we still won comfortably, you know, in, like, in, the, in the Premiership. Um, different, I think, in the Champions League, I'd like to see CCV, you know, have a really good campaign in a, a group that isn't full of Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, and kind of, I, I'm one of these Celtic fans. It's like, if gun to my head, I'm always Champions League or bust. 
I want to get through, I want to get put out in the 16, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we, you know, you look at some of the, the lineups for the fixtures in the Europa League and the Conference League, and it's like, how far could we have gone in these with the way I, this team's clicked? Look you know, at how kind of, like West Ham are doing, you know? It's, yeah. it's yeah, it really annoys me. Um, uh, anyway, um, right, that's your top, your, your, your best back four. We'd like your worst back four now, please. Uh, right back, John Joe Kenny. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of bad right backs, right? There's been a lot of appalling fullbacks at Celtic. Um, again, trying to decide who to go for is kind of like, you have to have your little reasons. And I think John Joe Kenny is somebody that I thought would be good. I thought, I'd seen him play for Everton a few times and thought, he's a decent player. He's like a decent Premier League level. Mm-hmm. Um, he's made international appearances. He's got experience under his belt he's clearly been highly rated I think it was Ancelotti who talked about John Joe Kenny being like a player he's got his eye on for the future and it just seemed like a really good signing but so did you know that summer window in particular that horrendous season we were all buzzing at the end of the, the window you know with Duffy and Laxale and it just all went tits up and I think that defining moment of him in the uh, Celtic Rangers game just yeah just complete calamity just could not handle it and everything was against every player in that park that season. You know, it was it was a time for I think we'll look back on it and see players like Cal McGregor surviving that season and standing up and still playing well as an insane achievement. Yeah. Uh, but John Joe Kenny kind of typifies the nightmare of that position for when Celtic had bad fullbacks and the nightmare of that season. So he's he's just the unlucky guy that sticks out for me. He's unfortunately one of the faces of failure for for many of us. I think for that season, um, and there are many faces of failure for that season. Let's not dwell on it. Who's your left back? Um, again, there's so many options. I don't even, I don't necessarily think this is the worst left back, but uh, I've gone for Mo Kamara. Yeah, there's, there's maybe, a handful you could go for, right? And it's kind of like, right, who's the who's the unfortunate sod that's going to get picked? Mo Kamara. Because when I think of him and I hear his name, I picture him running out of play. Like I picture him <laughs> running with the ball, like the controllers died and he's running out of play. Yeah. And that frustration, I think when Celtic's fullbacks are shite, they're really shite. And mm. it's the frustration of of them feeling like they don't know what they're doing. I think we're so spoiled with like Greg Taylor. And I think, you know, players like Bernabe have really good quality, but the the drop off right now because you're watching somebody like Greg Taylor, your Anovich Johnson guys that understand their position so well. When you have a fullback that's a wee bit lacking or that's just that drop behind, it's so evident. Yeah. Um, you know, guys like Edson Braffide, who could have been in here, who has a you know, silver medal at the World Cup. Mm. You know, it just it's it's a it's a team that I think is really hard to play fullback for. Um, particularly like a dominant football side where you're kind of hit for things like crosses making their way into the box that are the only reason you can see it's always on your head. Uh so Mo Kamara for me, just for running out of the park so often. I think it was a bit of expectation with Mo Kamara as well. You know, was he Strachan's first signing, I think? Um, and, you know, it's, it's a rebuild of the squad and, you know, you're, I don't know, I had higher expectations. But, yeah, I think that's just been drilled out of all of us. Let's talk about your centre-halves. So I have put Shane Duffy in here. Again, as that face of failure. And the start he had was, you know, scoring twice. It just Aye. felt like we had, like, a cheat code in the box. Um, and, yeah, I think you put it well with John Joe Kenny, face of failure. Uh, it just did not work out. Everything seemed to go against them. Every 50-50 seemed to not go his way. Every mm. ball just bounced wild over his head or past him. It looked like he had no pace. It had all gone. Um, yeah, just a, a, such a badly time signing. I imagine quite an expensive wage packet. Everything yeah. just didn't go right. The obvious one would be like a do-way 
but I'd give him a break. You know what I mean? It's not like he went on to, it's not like he's had a career before that or went on to have a great career. Duffy was an established Premier League footballer who got his move to a club he likes and blew it. And, you know, Captain of Ireland. Captain of Ireland. He's a saving and play centre half for Celtic. You know that? I mean, maybe, yeah, well, that season was that season. Um, but it's not a surprise that you've got two players from, from that squad in here. Uh, who's your final pick for centre half? Worst centre half? Josh Thompson. Oof. And it's, it's Josh Thompson because, it's not because he's technically the worst again, but when I was thinking, who are the kind of shite centre backs I've seen watching Celtic? And I always think of Josh Thompson. Um, and then every time I check his wiki, I'm reminded that he actually played a lot. Mm-hmm. Scored a couple of goals for Celtic as well, I, I think. Right? And he got, but when I found out, I was going to leave him because there's enough shite you know, to choose from. But then I saw he won Young Player of the Year. And in my head, he was shite. So it really frustrated me that he won Young Player of the Year. Because That's I remarkable. can't picture Josh Thompson as anything other than a complete stopgap, a nonsense. Like It's the kind of guy he seems to start another and it's proof of a lack of squad depth, you know, yeah. or bad transfers or a terrible window or big injuries. And we had a lot of centre-halves like that who kind of just get folded in mm-hmm. and stick around. Um, so there's a lot of mediocrity to choose from. Uh, so I just, when I saw Young Player of the Year, it kind of alarmed me so much. I felt I had to put him in here to kind of readdress the balance. Signed from Stockport County, uh, who were playing in League One at the time. Um, and he played 21 games, scored three goals for us. Um in three seasons, albeit the second two of those seasons he was away in loan. So, aye, poor solid. He had a he had a career. You know, he played just one until... of these. Just one of these guys who's got. I think Starfelt gets like a bad rap. I still think people because he attacks the ball in like a less natural way than CCV does. Yeah, an unnatural defender is Josh Thompson. You know, he's a big unit of a guy. He's baldy, so he looks like a defender. He looks like a centre half, but he's so lumbering. He couldn't turn. Everything about him just screams. You know, nowhere near this level. And that's what frustrated me. He's only 32. That is outrageous. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Uh, all right. So John Joe Kenny, Shane Duffy, Josh Thompson and Mo Kamara. Uh, gee whiz. You're not winning. Uh, you're not winning Cynic Wars with that defence. <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you, Lorenzo. That was question four. We're going to move to question eight now. So um, for people listening at home, you are, uh, uh, you know, you've quite a lot of interests. I would say one of them is music. So this question is based around music, right? So you're creating, creating, you're curating a stage at a music festival and I've got eight slots to fill. So I would like you to tell us the lineup from like the bottom of the bill to the top of the bill and I want a name for your festival as well or your stage. Okay. Um, the dead people count? Are we, are we allowing dead? You can have dead people, yeah. Yeah, I think I've only put a couple of deads in. Uh, okay. So my favourite band in the world right now is a band called Wild Pink. Yep. Wild Pink are opening the stage for me. They're getting everyone in the mood. They aren't, you know, bouncing or anything like that, but people are rocking up at, I don't know, 4pm. Oh, this, this is my day. This, this, it's eight bands, oh, Lorenzo. We're not talking, you know, European festival here. Uh, I, just, I, just, and... I just put a real Brit uh, spin on that, didn't I? Let, let's, okay, let's say it's, a, it's in Barcelona. It's Primavera. Okay, it's a stage at Primavera. Okay. Good. So yeah, 4pm, fine. 4pm, at, at the earliest, everyone's had their, their lunch. Everyone's in a nice mood. Well, pink. And then uh, Katie Crutchfield of Waxahachie, mm-hmm. but she's only allowed to do the kind of country songs. Right. It's a, it's a solo set? Like, or she got a band? Uh, no, she can have her band, but she's right. she's got to pick and choose the country-ish tunes from her records. Okay. Not that I don't, like I love all her songs. I love all her stuff. 
but I'm trying to I'm cult, cultivating a vibe here. Okay. You know, again, it's quite relaxing. It's nice. It's sunny. Okay. Third oh, on by the Pedro the Lion. Okay. And again, hey. Dave. Yeah, quite, quite, quite calm, slow start to your festival here, Lorenzo. Yeah. And again, they've got to play some Bazan, David Bazan solo stuff as well. Okay. That's in the, that's in the rider, that's in the contract. Um, followed by John Prine with special guest Gillian Welch. Okay. She just has to come out with them and play songs with them. I don't think that ever happened. See the audience that's coming to this festival, they will probably want to be in bed by about 11 o'clock. Oh, it's me. And... <laughs> I'm there. That's all that matters. No, no, no. It's, it's, yeah. So, so what might be good actually is at the end of this, if you made a Spotify playlist with a couple of tracks from each of these artists that, that the listeners can listen to as okay. well, that would be quite good. Uh, okay, so, right. Second half of the, of the, the day, who's fifth on the, the bill? The, the vibe changes here, but it changes with like a ramp as a run up because it's the Foo Fighters. Oof. But I choose the set list. Okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. I choose the set list. Right. And I start with kind of um in your honorary type stuff that blends with John Prine and Pedro and it goes into self titled and then it kicks off with the big tunes and everyone starts getting more amped up. Okay. Right. Um, so then we're into the back half of the Well of the stage. Uh for any Foo Fighters fans out there, Lorenzo and I did a podcast. Do a podcast as we're gonna record another episode quite soon called Best of Foo. Uh, if you like Foo Fighters and you like us, Best of Foo, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Um, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do another episode of that because Foo Fighters have got a new album coming out that I think is going to be shite. Lorenzo thinks is going to be good. So, well, the last one was shite. We reviewed that and it was really yeah, shite. It was uh, the disco went awful. Uh, okay, next. Okay, then Run the Jewels. Ah, oh, excellent. Okay. Who are Run I've the Jewels for, for anyone who hasn't seen them before? Run the Jewels are a, a hip-hop duo supergroup, but it's two guys, of um, LP, EL-P, mm-hmm. and Killer Mike, mm-hmm. two kind of legendary rappers and the LP are producer in their own rights, um, who kind of became pals and decided to put records out together and then have made some of the most essential kind of mainstream rap music um, of the last kind of 10 years, 10, 15 years. Um, they have a live show that is outrageously good for two guys and a DJ, a DJ track star. Um, I've seen them five or six times and they have never come close to disappointing. I don't know, you know, the vibe at Primavera last year was, was quite off. There was a lot of kind of logistical issues. The planning, even of the sets was terrible. There's a lot of really weird clashes. Um, and I remember rocking up to run the jewels on the big main stage and there's maybe like a quarter full if that, mm-hmm. because of all the weird, clashes and the weird dynamic they built around the, the festival and it seemed like it was going to be a bit tepid and it was like already 2am and people were thinking about leaving uh, and they came on and just blew the place away and it just it started to fill up it's that way even when you're at a festival that big that late at night um, in a foreign country people are hearing the main stage and being like drawn to it yeah. you see that in real time it's something that's quite rare uh, for two guys you know on stage to do that is, is amazing they're, yeah the live show is outstanding um, I think the Foo Fighters and Run the Jewels is also a lovely segue. Um, right, two spots left. Who's uh, who's uh, the penultimate art- artist? So Run the Jewels go off stage, right? They're going off stage and they're saying bye to the audience. And then the intro, Outcast. Okay, wow. Yeah. Outcast reform and perform. <laughs> and uh, again, I choose the set list, but I'm, I'll let Andre in general, lead, lead the artistic direction of the set. Um, uh, 
Have you seen Outcast Live before? No. They didn't play play. I don't think did they play much like, even like around I don't, I don't like don't. yeah. I don't they don't seem like a band that would play live. So getting them to reform and do a live set is is outstanding. There's uh, been rumors of uh, reformation. That's okay. a word I can say in a second for uh, a long time. But it's never quite come to fruition. But they they seem to be pals. And also Andre three thousand has a lot of like you see a lot of really nice stories about him. Seems like a really cool guy. Okay. And the last time I saw Big Boy was in the upstairs at the academy mm-hmm. when he was touring one of his solo records to like a hundred people. Wow. And like the bar bit, you know where you put your coat in the academy? Yeah. You're there. joking. That's and where Big Boy played in like 2016 maybe. Wow. And was that just because it was meant to be a small show or because no one bought tickets? I think because no one bought tickets. Which is... Fuck's sake, man. Was great, like... I mean, he's amazing. So yeah. I don't know what was going on, but it was weird. Very strange. Right. Who is the headline act? The headline act from the grave is Tom Petty. Oh wow! I didn't think you were going to. Say, I thought you were going to say Nirvana um, for some reason. Uh, Tom Petty. Well, great. Yeah. Um, I mean, surely most listeners will know who Tom Petty is. Have you got a favourite Tom Petty like era or album? Oh, um, I've been very into like the whole Wildflowers era just because they did a big expanded thing and it was all the demos on it and stuff, and it's very yep. easy to tuck into. Uh, but no, anything Tom Petty. I, I actually like the early 90s stuff because he started getting, he did a lot of live shows where he was doing really career-spanning mm-hmm. lists, mm-hmm. which I think when you go see like a massive legacy act like that, that's what you're after and sometimes you don't get it. Yeah. Um, so I think Tom Petty always appreciated that. He's just my favourite songwriter, um, my favourite artist. So I never got to see him when he was alive. Uh, same with John Prine. I was on holiday the day John Prine played Glasgow last, which is why he's in here. Uh, so I missed that. So that's I'm kind of fixing that. But Tom Petty is, um, if I could, if I could see him, it would be Tom Petty. And Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters, of course, played drums for Tom Petty uh, on a couple of tours. I think so maybe he'll maybe he'll come out and play on the drums for Tom Petty. Well, I mean, you would expect so, right? I mean, yeah. I could see Dave Grohl being involved in pretty much all of this. Uh, okay, excellent. Enjoyed that. That's a good. That's a good question. I haven't done that question before. Should should do it in future with other other folk on this if they're music fans that's a good one um, thank you Lorenzo okay that was question 8 we're going to go to question 5 didn't even ask for the name of the stage oh shit tell me The Waiting The Waiting as, so. in, as in wait as in W-E-I-G-H-T no, A-I-T it's a Tom Petty song The Waiting it's my okay. favourite Tom Petty song but it's also just I don't know it's funny for the festival you're at the waiting stage got you I like it. You, th- you put thought into it. I didn't get the reference initially, so it's, it's on me. It's on That's me. Okay. That's okay. Uh, question five. We're going to talk about women's team now. Um, so Celtic Women's Football Show drops every Wednesday, uh, yourself and Claire Wilde. Um, you are obviously a big supporter uh, of the women's team, but what are your five wishes or aspirations for the team moving forward? Like what five things that you would like to, to happen to the, to the team or see happen to the, to the, the organisation? Uh, the big one is play games at Celtic Park. I think it's. I think when you when people bring that up, it's almost seen as like ridiculous to even ask for that because there wouldn't be sixty thousand fans. But that's not the point. That's not how it works. It's a professional team. It's part of it's part of our club. They should be playing games at Celtic Park. I appreciate the argument that it might be better for them to play in a smaller stadium with a, a larger crowd, but they get made to play in Airdrie right now, so you're not getting a crowd coming out there. It's not like we have a a little, a smaller stadium, like a kind of lesser Hamden, mm-hmm. you know, in like Barrowfield or something like that, which was kind of the mooted plan, um, because then you could start to combine things. My dream was always 
the idea that they would build a, a kind of lesser Celtic Park and Barrowfield, even just around one of the training pitches like they do for Hearts. Yeah. Uh, let's get some stands. And there are games planned, so it's like Celtic v Hearts or whatever in the women's game at Barrowfield at 12 o'clock. And then you ro- you walk up, you know, 10, 15 minutes to Parkhead for the men's game at 3 or 4. Yeah. Stuff like that. That would be the dream. And I think that from a marketing perspective is makes complete sense. Free entry to the women's game if you're going to the Celtic game. Great you know, idea. Stuff like yeah. that. Add it onto the season ticket. Great. Um, and then right. even just big games. There's so many derbies we get. You know, in the we talk about the men's game. We play Rangers so much because of the small uh, league and in the cup competitions. And the women's game, that's even bigger because you've got two big derbies, two teams right up against you for the league. Mm-hmm. A lot of big games. They shouldn't be getting played in Airdrie when we're supposed to have home advantage. They played uh, Celtic v Hibs at Celtic Park in the sun. Well, a year ago it must have been now. And it was amazing. It was a great day out. I think it was maybe 5,000 people, 4,000 people. Um, there wasn't actually a lot of run-up to it. There wasn't a lot of advance notice. There wasn't a lot of marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the hammered Hibs, again, just from a competitive point of view, they're a professional team playing non-professional teams. They ran them off the park. It's a huge pitch. Yep. Glasgow City uh, won the league 14 years in a row. They play in a really narrow pitch. Mm-hmm. Really, really narrow. So much so that it affects the way we play against them and the until this week, beat us comfortably at home. The minute they were playing a, t- uh, a pitch like Parkhead, the competitive advantage you've suddenly got from your home games is huge. So for me, it's a no-brainer, particularly for Great. the Darby That's number yeah, one. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, I think I'd be more likely to go to more games if they were at Celtic Park rather than going up to flipping Airdrie. Um, I've only been in a few games, um, so I can't really... I don't really the have semi-final Ham- The semi-final at Hamden this weekend, Paul? Yeah, I can't go on Sunday. Oh, typical. I'm sorry, I've got a lot on this weekend. Uh, okay, uh, second aspiration. Um, transparency from the club in the backing of the team. And I mean that from everything in terms of um, funding in particular. I think obviously you're never going to know how a football club runs, what they spend their money on, etc. But it'd be nice to even have some kind of announcement with, uh, here's a financial commitment to the women's team. Here's money put aside for the women's team that isn't going to get touched. Yeah, It shouldn't be relying on how the men's team is doing in any kind of negative way. If anything, if this Celtic team keeps qualifying for the Champions League, there's a lot of money to play with. A tiny, tiny percentage of it could be portioned to the women's team for something like that, like a stadium uh, or a, a even a rental of a stadium closer to Glasgow than, than Airdrie uh, for players to come in. You know, the, the women's league isn't the kind of league where you're paying transfer fees but the minute a player starts to thrive here they get pinched and picked off because there's not even contracts are usually a year two right. years and he can get bought out for pennies so you know Rangers have a, a player just now called Emma Watson who's starring for the Scotland national team she's 17 she's unreal she will get picked up for free this summer by a big English team because yeah. there's nothing we do about it the money's not there so you'd like to know that there's funding even if it's on a, a longer term scale Mm-hmm. Here's where money is going to come in for the women's team. It's not going to be a side project put out to Airdrie. You yeah. know, I'd like to see like some transparency on that. Great. Totally agree. Um, third aspiration. Uh, domestic talent to break mm. through. Because okay. if you look at the Celtic squad right now, there's a lot of uh, foreign players, which is great, which is fine. I mean, that's a big part of Celtic as a club. Uh, but it means we have like a Scotland squad who, again, selfishly, I don't feel as attached to because there's not a lot of Celtic representation. Um, the Rangers team and the City team have benefited over the years from a kind of close-knit squad because they are involved in their national team's games. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of players who when International Week comes, we've got Liv Chance goes to New Zealand, 
we have had players going to Canada, Australia, all sorts. Um, and we kind of miss that element that the kind of community of women's football players has been quite small and uh, close knit throughout the past like four or five years. So Rangers have like eight players in the Scotland squad and that really benefits them, particularly because they're not travelling, they all know each other, blah, blah, blah. And just for the kind of notoriety of the team. So from a Celtic point of view, we need to be bringing through young Scottish players um, and we have a, a decent contingent in the under-19s. But again, in terms of investment, we need to become Celtic like we are in the men's game where we see the best player at Glasgow City and go, they're ours now. You know, yeah. We're going to go get them. I think that's slightly. It, it, the only thing stopping them is I think Glasgow City pay their players more. Right. We don't know that, but you can see the, the internationalists they have. And when we make signings, they're really off the beaten path. Um, and again, it's just that lack of transparency. We don't know, but you'd like to see Celtic starting to pinch Scottish talent. We did it with Amy Gallagher from Hibs. Yeah. And we just said, you're, you're the best player at the team, you know, outside the top three. You play for us now. And she's been great. Scored you know, two goals the other night, I think, didn't she? Yeah. She Hibs, scored yeah. like 59 this season. Yeah. Great. Great. So you want to see more of that. Okay. What's next? European football. Mm. Very tough in the women's game. There's a very closed door Champions League. Um, but if you come second in our league, you do get to play qualifiers. The qualifiers are really tough um, and they also take place in kind of like two games in a weekend. It's kind of a fun wee mini tournament, uh, which is cool. But there's kind of the Champions League or bust and the Champions League is very small in the women's game. So there's a lot of really high quality teams in it you'll never touch. I mean, if this Celtic team or City team got in the Champions League proper, they'd get scudded. Like the right. levels they would go up would be insane. Right. So maybe as the women's game grows the European competitions will start to fan out like they did in the men's game. Mm -hmm. And there'll be some lesser competitions to kind of find that experience, find new players, get some income. Uh, so that would be that would be lovely. Great. I love this vision you've got. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, okay, what's your final your final hope or dream for the Mormons team? Uh, me doing commentary. <laughs> okay, probably. That's probably actually the most feasible of, of, of all of them, right? Like, who... I don't know. Because, right, so if you want to watch a women's game, if you can't attend live, right, then you're either hopeful that it's on BBC Alapa mm -hmm. or sometimes streaming on the BBC website, BBC Sports Scotland website. Yep. So Celtic we don't... do highlights packages now. Okay. Um, where they kind of overdub the Alba commentary, but use the Alba footage. Right. Uh, but it's about, um, it's about half arsed. Okay. I am all. You can do a better job. Yeah. It's just a bit like, um, there's players' names pronounced wrong. There's kind of mm. fake enthusiasm. You know, it's that way when you know, obviously, at times a lot of highlights, they're not watching the game. They're commenting on the highlights. Yeah. Uh, just seems silly. I think I just did a good job at it. Okay, I don't doubt that for one minute. Uh, who's your favourite player at the moment? Current favourite player in the women's team? Uh, I mean, it's not to sound like every wee guy on Twitter, but it is Jacinta. She Aye. is such a level above. Um, particularly last season, she was great. She had all the skills, all the tricks. The final third finishing wasn't really there. She made the wrong decision quite a lot. This season, she just looks so far beyond um, some of the other players in the league. Uh, her decision making has been amazing. Her maturity, she kind of leads the team now when, she, when we go forward. Uh, just out of the blue in this new season. And I think, mm -hmm. I don't see us keeping hold of her in the summer. I'm amazed we did in January when we had players like Larissa leaving. Yeah. Um, but I do think she she was kind of like a a hot prospect from kind of youtube stuff when she was really young and she had her chance at West Ham and Napoli took her on. And she was just a bit raw and a bit young, and we saw that in the first season. I think if any of these scouts who liked her in the first place have got their eye on her, she'll be gone 
to a, a, a good big club in the English Premier League maybe next season for nothing, which is the worst thing about it. Yeah, that sucks. I just brought the tone right down. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's class. She's absolutely class. She's very exciting to watch. Um, okay, that was question five. Question 11. Just a wee short one. What are you usually doing at 11 o'clock at night, Lorenzo? Uh, catching up on Married at First Sight. <laughs> it's, on every, it's on everybody night so, you, so it's it. you that watches that I was like sometimes that'll come on and I'll be like who watches this it's like, oh I enjoy it I enjoy it, I enjoy it. and uh, my mum and dad enjoy it and my girlfriend's mum and dad enjoy it so no matter where we are it gets watched does your girlfriend enjoy it oh yeah okay absolutely so that's I'd be insane that... if I was forcing that on every family member yeah if it was only your, your partner that didn't like it but everyone else did like she'd be quite kind of like what am I missing out on here so right at 11 o'clock what are some of your other like what are some of the, the shows that you over the past year or so that you've been like absolutely obsessed with shows um, we're quite bad at watching telly in general but um, I made Helen catch up on Succession because I wanted to watch it in real time and then, uh, I'm not going to say what happened, but a big spoiler happened in the new season, and I saw it before I got to watch it, because we were about a week away from catching up. Right. So that annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Succession. Um, I don't know. I think I've been really bad at watching telly. Um, you have your in your head, like, all the things you're going to binge. Um, particularly when we moved in together, I was like, oh, we're just going to, there's so much telly I've never watched that we're going to binge. That's what you do. Uh, but we just we're not, not very good we don't have the attention span what we did do last week is um, Helen discovered I've never seen Saw so she made me watch Saw 1, did 2 you, and 3 in the space of 2 days did you see Saw? I did see Saw <laughs> was that uh, that sounds like that was maybe the, the marketing for it see it's, Saw it's not good that's bad sorry uh, yeah uh, does it stand up as a film? Did you? which one did you like the most? Saw 1 is the best one okay because um, it's so I cannot remember the actor's name he's that he's um He's in everything. You've seen him in a bunch of things. He's really an overactor. The things I've seen him in that he's good in are like comedy things where that's his job to be weird. Um, I can't remember his name. He is famous. Uh, but Saw is really weirdly edited. The editing that just does not make sense in 2023. Uh, so it's very dated, but it is, it is fun. Okay. Um, I've never seen it. Uh, I'm unlikely to. Um, Ga- Gal's, the, Gal's the expert on, on this genre film. Uh, okay. Question nine. Who was your favourite Celtic player when you were nine years old? So I was nine. I just turned nine uh, when Seville happened. Wow. All right. So, I mean, take your pick from that team. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it's going to be Henrik Larsson, but maybe not. Maybe not. No, it's, it's Henrik. Uh, <laughs> but that team in general, again, doing cynic stuff, you know, we do tears, we do all these kind of lookbacks. That team are like superheroes to me. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I find it really hard to review them or like rank them or or rate them as actual footballers because when you're nine, you don't see them, you know, losing their consistency or making a bad mistake. You just see the goals. You just see the size of them, even that team, you know, the athleticism in that team. Yeah. Uh, it just, I, I find it really hard to to think about any of those players and compare them to like a modern striker. You know, a John Hartson to me, I can't picture him playing the football I've, like I'd see Dembele play, mm. but he's just a big you know, superhero who will hammer the ball in the net and make everything look so easy. And in my head, I think it's the way when you watch highlights of old games anyway, things look way easier than they are. If you saw a goal like that, you know, on the Sunday, you'd be like, that was the best goal I've ever seen. I can't I can't believe I saw that. But then you watch an old highlight and you see John Hartson hitting volleys from 30 yards and it's like, yeah. oh, that used to be so easy. Balls <laughs> are different then. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that's class, but okay, of course it's Henrik Larson. But uh, yeah, what what a time to be nine years old, by the way. Brilliant. It's I feel a, like it's a, it's a night- thing we've we've kind of talked about before where um I've talked about my pals where you want to kind of figure out what the best you know, would it have been good to have been in our early twenties watching that Celtic team where you could have gone, you know, to away games and and on that run and you could have seen those players week in, week out with a season ticket and blah blah blah. Um and I think there's obviously amazing reasons why that would be the case and why people that were in their early twenties when Seville was happening would have loved it. But at the same time, like I don't I can't picture my life thinking about Chris Sutton, Hearts and Didi Agat. Like I don't I, every time somebody mentions Didi Agat on any of the things and talk about any faults he had as a defender or whatever, I don't understand because I just know him as like the fastest man on the planet who, you know, runs rings around everybody. And I can't picture that team as anything other than yeah, the the comic book team, you know. Yeah, fair dues, man. Love that. That's really nice. Um I like like nine is like I think when you're nine, that is like probably when you're properly football daft, right? Like yep. when you're just just like obsessed. I certainly was at nine years old. I was and like a maniac for football, just consumed all my like anything I could football related. Um, so to see the Seville team at that age, that's class. Okay, you're, you're not old enough where things are in any way cringe. Yeah, you're you're old enough to understand what's going on, but mm-hmm. you're young enough that everything still you're allowed to kind of be obsessed with things. Yeah, and have stickers and all that kind of thing. Don't believe in Santa Claus and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Question six, another music question. So you're a music guy. You you ran a record shop for years. You ran a radio station. Um, you know, you, you worked in music for a long time. Uh, what are the six most precious records you own? Um, this was tough. I sold a lot of records during COVID because uh, I kind of just sold my shop as well. So I started selling everything um, to kind of, for some reason, I first saw COVID last in a long time when it when it started to kick in. So I thought I'm going to sell everything because I'm not going to work for a long time, because yeah. the idea of remote work hadn't become like super regular yet either. So um, I thought, forget it, I'll sell everything. And I'm a, I'm primarily a CD guy now. I've pivoted to CD. Yeah. I just I like listen, the idea. I think they're coming back too. I'll be honest. I, I kept all my CDs in all my dad's loft for as soon as I move house. Uh, they're, they're there's going to be a room, and the CDs are going to get pride of place. CD is the best quality uh, music um, product. Well, right, best I, sounding I, product. I can say this now because I don't own a record shop. Like, unless you have an incredibly expensive setup, a CD will sound better than your records. Mm-hmm. The reason, which is nice about records, the reason you convince yourself that your, you know, Riga Planner Two sounds so warm and so gorgeous is because it looks amazing and the tactile feel of a record is amazing and it presses all the buttons in your brain that tell you this is worth the money I spent on it. But you know, I buy three times as much physical music as I used to because I buy CDs. Um, I mean, not I, not to like, vinyl's lovely, but like putting yeah. on a record is it's the habitual thing and it's a it's the, the ceremony of it, right? So you're, you're not like saying that vinyl's no, crap, God, no, but, I've but still got tons of vinyl. It's yeah. just um, as a guy who wants to wants to support bands, wants to buy a lot of physical music from indie labels. Um, the way I can do that is by buying CDs because I don't have thirty pound to buy every album I want. You know, <laughs> and it's just that's what it is now. Yeah, records. And if we lived in a world where CDs are so cheap to make, that's why they became a thing. That's why they were so replicatable. That's why they took over in the nineties. If the world goes back to CDs and every band you like puts a CD out for ten pounds and you knew that they were making a um what, eight, nine pound profit on that, and it was going right to the band or right between them and the label or whatever, everyone would buy CDs. Mm -hmm. Because every band would have a good income from it. 
because you take all the record sales, you take all the sales of people that don't buy physical music because it's too expensive, and they would if it was a tenner. People yeah. buy you know downloads for a tenner. Nice. CD gets chucked in for free sometimes. Yeah, I just think it would. I think it would solve the music industry. Well, I mean, yes, I, I love it. I'm on it board. Uh, it won't happen. Uh, there's absolutely no way. Capitalism will not let that happen. Uh, right, but let's talk through it. Your, your six, six of your sort of prized possessions in terms of like albums, records, musical items. Yep. Um, I sold a copy of Frank Ocean's Blonde for four hundred and fifty pounds. Mm, made a good, made a good penny on it. So I want that to kind of count um, because that was a lot of money and it paid a lot of things off. Um, I've got a glow in the dark twelve inch of This Is a Call from right. you know when it was released, which I found Sec- on Discogs for so cheap. Second ever Foo Fighters single, of course. Yep. So I love that. Um, there's certain records I have that I don't part with, uh, and it's usually ones that I got in the shop um, because yeah. they're even just records that sold really well in the shop that I want to have because they remind me of, you know, the best times in LP where certain records were kind of paying the bills yeah. or we created fans of certain bands out of nowhere. Um, so I would include one of my answers is like any record I ever got gifted by a label or a band in person at the shop has never been sold. They all sit in my collection. Right. Um, because that's, you know, something that will never, that's something so specific and so rare uh, that was the benefit of the shop that won't happen again. Yep. Um on that note as well, I've got a bunch of variants of Julian Baker's debut, Sprained Ankle. Um, that album, we ran that shop for nearly five years and it was the highest seller by like 80. Wow. You know, it, it was like, with all the variants of that record that came out, just the debut, we probably sold like 250, which for a shop her size is completely insane. Yeah. And for an artist that her size at the time, now she's huge. Um, was insane and then when she came out with follow up records she played in the shop we had a bunch of people that would come in just to buy her stuff um, yeah so a very big deal for the shop so they're very precious to me she's currently um, part of Boy Genius of course who a lot of listeners might have heard uh, which is a brilliant record yep um, I've got a few things signed by Craig Finn who we had you know you don't like for some reason uh, so Craig's Finn Craig Finn's band is of course the Hold Steady. The Hold Steady. So, should there be someone out there that likes the Hold Steady? I like the Hold Steady. I like Someone Craig Chomp. I like him as a writer. And he, he uh, we randomly um, got him to play in the shop one night. Uh, so, he played in the shop and he hung around for ages and he was really nice to hold it. So, he gave me a bunch of records and signed them all really kind of personally because he was steaming, which is fun. He also okay. fell asleep in the doublet, fun fact. Oh, excellent. Good um, so yeah, there you go. That's something I picked out from my collection today. And then finally, uh, I've got a copy of Pedestrian Verse by Frightened Rabbit uh, that's signed by the band from the first time I met Scott in person. Yep. Uh, we'd kind of know each other, not know each other. Like We had a weird, very weird uh, mutual co-following each other on Twitter when I was like 19. Um, and then when I had the shop, uh, oh no, sorry, right after that, we uh, Pedestrian Verse came out. And I met him and got it signed and just said hi. And then three, four years later, I opened the shop and met him at a Frightened Rabbit gig and he remembered me. And then we became pals. So uh, I keep that record quite close. Of course. Um, yeah, I think one of Frightened Rabbit's best records, I mean, they're all great. There'll be a lot of Frightened Rabbit fans listening, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's lovely. That's a nice poignant way to end this section. Thank you, Lorenzo. Very nice indeed. Uh, three questions left. Uh, we're going to go to question two. So, which 
I think I've worded this. Yeah, which two players from the current Celtic squad, men or women's, would you ask to help you with the following tasks? So it's three tasks, and you get to pick two Celtic players to help you with each, right? So task A is putting up shelves in your flat. Um, I think I'll start with the women's team. I, I don't know what I'm going to settle on, but I'll start with the women's team and say Natalie Ross. Mm-hmm. It's like a veteran player. She's a very hard tackler. Uh, she does her job really well. She's very efficient. I think she'd be good at putting up shelves. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tony Ralston, Brady <laughs> Knowledge. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe Kyogo tag teaming him. Very helpful, bringing over necessary tools. Cups Kyogo could just like make the tea and stuff like that. Yeah, like you know, he'd be a handy guy to have around. Um, leave the dirty work to to the other two. Yeah. Alistair Johnson looks like he definitely has like a dad who built his childhood home with his Aye. bare hands. Yeah, Lots he does. Cool beer. He does. Um. Or I'm just going to go with uh, Carl Toolbelt and Level Abada. I asked you for answers, not for terrible jokes. Just leave leave the comedy to the experts. Also, I asked for two players and you gave me about seven. So... I said I'm going to go for Carl Toolbelt and Level Abada. Okay, 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 okay. Um, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, next task, throwing a birthday party for, partner? Birthday party right. for your partner, Helen. Who uh, are you going to get to help you with that? I'll go with um, Kyogo again, just because I think he would love that, you know, to surprise somebody <laughs> and treat somebody. And I think he'd have a nice time. And I want him to get out of the house, yeah, and you know, meet people and have fun. Um, so I'd install Kyogo. Uh, also, I watched that little documentary of me. Looks like a good cook. Mm. Um, you know, he keeps a clean house as well, so he'd be tidying up. Yep. So I think that would make sense. Uh, and she really likes CCV, so I'd go CCV just for. You know, that's nice for her. She likes him. Great. Love it. Okay. Two two legends, two awesome dudes. And finally, with two Celtic players, would you ask to help you come up with an idea for a tattoo? So I know kind of what the tattoo would be, where in your body it's going to be, and who's going to help you either come up with it, draw it, create it? I think this is an insane question because there are not footballers with good tattoos. <laughs> there just aren't. Um, what are you talking the about? Th- Haxabanovich has got King on his neck. Exactly. With a wee crown. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking of like, even like Daniele De Rossi's the most mental tattoo I can think of. He has that little wet floor sign, but it's a guy getting like his shin snap. <laughs> Stuff like that. I think it's, it's at least fun. Uh, with this Celtic team though, um, I think my answer would be Joe Hart and Matt O'Reilly because they both have that terrible line. Oh yeah, the line. Yeah, we um, know that. You know what that line means. What does that line mean? Mm, I don't really want to see it in a podcast. I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> I have I have my own hypothesis about that. Well, they have. They just seem to have the lines in in kind of random places. Um, so I'd want to run things by them to see if they thought they were cool. Okay. And if they said they are cool, I would pivot away from that. <laughs> that's I mean, that's a bit unfair to Matt O'Reilly, but you know, you know, Matt oh, O'Reilly. Listen, listen, Matt O'Reilly is. Incredibly handsome, great footballer, uh, you know, world at his feet. If you look at any picture of Matt O'Reilly not in football gear, he's in a leather jacket, he's in, uh, you know, old vans, old schools. The man, he's in like horrible ripped denim jeans. He's not got taste. His dad's a rock and roll star. He dresses like his dad. Just let him him be himself. Is his dad a rock and roll star? Ah, his dad like plays in a band. His dad like uh, I think they played the garage or something recently. What Matt O'Reilly's dad? Aye, man. Like, Matt O'Reilly's dad plays in a band. Um, yeah, I think Tara and Colin, uh, Colin Kearney and his partner Tara Quinn, um, 
I think they listened to it and they were like, I mean, they've got very discerning taste in music and they were like, yeah, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. Okay, I've just looked up his dad and it looks, you know, this is this is where the taste comes from and it is an issue. Yeah, they were in a band and it was like a, a post-punk band I think they were in. What were they called? Um, uh, Straight Shooter, is that what right, they were they, called? They played Something at like the garage supporting Gun. Oh God, Gun. Uh, actually, that's unfair. Some people like Gun. Not Guns. Guns are bad. Uh, Not okay. as bad as Gun. But you're going with uh, Matt O'Reilly and Joe Hart, but to not take their advice. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a nice, there's not a good answer. I feel like Rayo Hatati seems cool. He would get mm. a cool tattoo, but he doesn't have any as far as I know. Iwata's a cool guy, by the way. Iwata's a cool guy. But again, don't know if he has any. Um, Aye, true. He probably yeah. wouldn't want them. Whereas, that's my only logic, is if I've got to go with something consistent, it'd be Joe Hart, Matt O'Reilly to pivot away from bad taste. Okay. Well, you know what? You answered the question. Uh, satisfied with your answer. Um, thank you. Okay, two questions left. A um, couple of quite chunky ones. So we'll go to number 10 next. So this is quite a fun question that we do in Sartre 11 fairly regularly, but with a different number. So uh, please rank every Celtic player to wear the number 10 from worst to best since squad numbers were introduced. So these the players are uh, Phil O'Donnell, Al Berkovich, John Hartson, Jan Venegood of Hesselink, Mark Antoine Fortuny, Anthony Stokes, Musa Dembele, Vakuni Sufbayo, and Albion Ayeti. So, from worst to best, please. Uh, worst, Berkovich, Lender. <laughs> right, based on personality rather based on, based on than ability. It wasn't a terrible play. I mean, there's no, worse players in this list. It definitely wasn't, but you know. I'm not ranking just on ability. I'm ranking on how much I like them. I'm ranking on... I'm ranking them, you know, full stop. Yeah, I'm ranking it's a rank. Them, I did ask you your rank. Okay, right. Okay, Berkovich is last. Who's next? A Yeti. <laughs> a Yeti? You're putting bio over a Yeti? Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> I think a Yeti had so much opportunity, way too much opportunity, and did nothing with it. Um, the times when you kind of flatter to deceive were just we gave him so much credit for these instinctive striker finishes. You know, if Ayeti had gone away this summer and torn up whatever it was he went, I can't remember. Storm Gratz. Yeah, and like scored 20 goals, then fine. It just didn't work out here and he's actually a quality player. He hasn't. He scored two goals, I think. He scored, yeah, three. So there you go. So he's just a, he's a player who... And also, we didn't get Ivan Tony because we got Ayeti. Oh, fuck yeah. You know, and Ivan Tony's a... As much as he seems like an absolute gimp, he's a quality footballer. Yeah. Um, could, have made, could have made the difference that season. You never yeah. know. And then okay. the butterfly effect, we, maybe we don't have that disaster, maybe we don't get Ange, maybe we don't get Kyogo. So, okay. You know, live and let live. I'd still have, rather have one ten in a row, but carry on. Fine. Um, yeah, then I've got Bio. <laughs> <laughs> I still think Bio, I know, he's, I know he's been sold, but I thought he did. I thought there was, I thought he had had a chance. Well, the man, the man went to Watford for like 18 million last summer. So I know did, Watford. Yeah. Garbage, but um, yeah, he had a he had a great season in France, or I think it was, and then get snapped up for big money. But he's a decent player, he's all right. Again, more proof that the championship is a waste ground, and we should not judge it as like a way to discern if somebody could play for Celtic. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Um, okay, bio, so we're getting it. into slightly better players now. So who's after Bio? Uh, Fortuny. Okay. You know, I really liked Fortuny. Uh, at random times I thought he just I liked his boots 
I liked his strength. I think he kind of put himself about. He was trying hard. Sometimes tried too hard. Um, he was disallowed that goal um, against Rangers, where mm-hmm. he did nothing wrong, just outlet Dal McGregor, and that really annoyed me. That kind of maybe made a little impact for for him at Celtic. Uh, not a very good player, but um, you know had his qualities and had his moments. Yeah, good enough. Um, just him and Samaras was never a, a front two. You know what I mean? Just very no. confusing. Uh, okay, who's next? I've gone Phil O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Again, not a player I, I can say that I watched with any regularity. Again, a player I'm more aware of for after he left Celtic. Um, and then obviously the tragic passing. But, you know, Phil O'Donnell is a player who I've talked about with yous on the, the tiers. He's yeah. something I've seen bits and pieces of. Uh, and the general consensus is is good player. But there's there's maybe better players here. Yeah, good good player that... Um... Aye, no, he was he was a good player. When we so Tears of a Cynic, uh, we covered like central midfielders. We did an episode, uh, you, me, and Gal, um, which you can listen to on uh, the Cynic app or on your your podcast feed. Um, yeah, I think we all had quite a lot of love for Phil O'Donnell. Um, and and I guess when a when a player isn't around anymore, that they're it's you're kind of framing it slightly differently. But yeah, he's he's a, a solid midfielder, really good guy. I liked him a lot. Um, okay, so only a few players left. Who's next? Anthony Stokes. Quite high uh, up for Stokes, but, you know, he had his moments. Know, Stokes had his moments where he was a phenomenal player for Celtic. You know, he had tons of quality, Stokes, no matter where he was. Um, just an outrageous human being. Just a, a fool, you know? So much quality wasted yeah. uh, at times. But, you know, the partnership he had with Gary Hooper was outrageously good. Mm. Like, kind of game-breakingly good at times when they were on it together. Yeah, uh, he was great to watch Stokes when he was taking somebody on, but then at the same time, when it wasn't going right for Stokes, he was as frustrating as it gets to watch. It's just yeah. like watching somebody run at a brick wall. Aye. Um, so you know he was never going to be any kind of legend at Celtic, but he had his moments. He won his trophies. Uh, you know he beat Rangers in the in the cup final as a Hibs player. Um, he's done a lot of good things and done a lot of bad things, but he's he was a he was a very good player on his day. I, I liked him too. Uh, I think him and him and Hooper, that's the, the really the glory era of Anthony Stokes at Celtic. Um yeah, quite a career he's had. Uh, okay, there are three players remaining and they're all of a certain quality. So who's next? Venegur, Jan Venegur of Hesselink. Brilliant. Talk us through it. Just uh, again one of my one of the players I was kind of obsessed with when I was younger. I've always had a, a thing about big tall strikers. I think when a tall striker with a lot of power knows how to kind of use his body and has a lot of intelligence, they just look like they're playing a different game. It was like a whole different sport. And Chris Sutton made, you know, football look like an entirely different sport at times um, just by using his intelligence and his frame. Uh, I think Venegar did that really, really well. He scored big goals. Mm. Um, he was quite unassuming in that kind of gangly, uh, seemingly uncoordinated way where he was actually just burying he would fall over a lot, hitting kind of half volleys, and they would go yeah. in the bottom corner. I just love that about him. I just think he seems like a, a computer game character. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just big moments. You know, big guy, big name, big moments. Uh, if, big fan. If you're a fan of uh, Jan Verigura Hesselink, uh, get a ticket for the Cynic Chronicles Live. Um, I don't know if there are many tickets left, but uh, Barry... Bart, well, I mean, so we're, uh, Barry and Alan and Gal uh, will be recording an episode of... Um, uh, the Cynic Chronicles at Blackfriars in Glasgow, 26th of April. You can get your tickets on thecynic.co. Uh, they'll be covering those two uh, games we played against Raiders in close succession from 2008, uh, of which 
Big Yan was heavily involved. So, uh, yeah, 26th of April at Blackfriars and Cynic.co for tickets. Um, two players left, Lorenzo. Uh, actually, don't, I don't know what way you'll go in this. Um, I mean, they're both outstanding players, but who's your second best pick? I actually left it blank in my notes to kind of make the decision in real time. And I think I talked myself into it with like the one of the first um, questions we were talking about where I'm going to have to put Dembele second. Okay, which means Hartson's top. Which but, means uh, top. So what? Yeah, what kind of what swung it? So Dembele for me, uh, particularly at his peak at Celtic, was just so good, and I think Dembele has so much quality. He kind of understood his role, that whole King of Glasgow thing. Mm-hmm. I think he just stepped into that as the big man. Um, he knows, I think, as a Celtic striker, your name is made in these big moments and these big occasions. It's not about necessarily being humble and putting two past St. Johnston and putting in a good shift against Rangers or whatever. It's about scoring in derbies. It's about scoring in the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, I love that about him. Um, I like players, I like strikers that have that that kind of um, self-confidence and self-belief that still comes with uh, a dedication to kind of be playing their best. I don't think mm-hmm. Dembele made a lot of bad decisions. He didn't make a lot of selfish decisions. He was a striker who knew when to be selfish and like, you know, if he turns and faces up in the goal when he's anywhere around the box, he's supposed to shoot. And I think that's a good decision. But I yeah. think when he's back to goal, he would play in Edward when they were together. He would spread the ball about. He would just make all the right decisions. I don't think he gets enough credit for that as a guy who was kind of so, um, his ego was kind of so obvious and on show that I think people forget when Dembele was clicking, he was such a key part of making that team move. Uh, particularly when we could get quite stagnant in that kind of second season as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Dembele guy, but like I said earlier, Hartson is like a superhero to me. I don't really understand. He's I, I can watch as much footage as I want of John Hartson and I still can't quite understand him as a player in my head other than just this force. You know, the the way John Hartson hits a football just looks like it shouldn't work. It shouldn't make sense. Hi. Um, he kind of like, he would spank a ball, you know, if you don't <laughs> like a commentator would say. Mm, no, uh, no, one, no one would say that, Lorenzo. No one has <laughs> ever said he spanked a ball. People do say that. He he would like um, toe blast it, but also his foot would go like across it. That's what I mean. You know, he spanked it. it. Look, yeah, spanked it. Spanked Fair it. enough. Yeah. He made it look so kind of easy, but um, at the same time, again, he had that big man thing of looking like he was uncoordinated, but then suddenly he's turned two players. Uh, the goal against Liverpool in the UEFA mm. Cup, you know, goals like that are just um, so outrageous and they stick in your head so much and... Hartson again also had all the secondary part of his game as a partner for Larson or a partner for Sutton or whoever he was up next to. He had that versatility to not just be the big number nine. Uh, you know, he could do a lot of things at the, at the top of the pitch. And um, for me, he's just, it's, it was really hard to decide if I was going to put Dembele above him. On a different day, maybe I do. Yeah. Uh, but right now, it's Hartson's the best 10. Great. I love that you, uh, Hartson's at the top and Berkovich is at the bottom. That's uh, yeah. so, so poetic <laughs> justice in that. Um, Splendid. Okay. Uh, yeah, because the current number ten is Albion Ayeti. Like, who should be the next Celtic number ten? Um, maybe we'll sign a number ten. Yeah. Uh, if not, what number's Hatati? Or like fifty-two or something like that. I think Hatati be a cool number ten. I know it's because it's changed about what a number ten is. It's just mm. I think it's it's more who it suits. I think Hatati would be a cool ten. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Take that. Um, you've only got one question left, Lorenzo, but it's a fucking mental question. It's a mental um, question. It's mad. So, uh, okay. Um, one of your other interests is darts. Uh, not a real sport, but a, a fun pastime. 
Uh, you've been given the opportunity to organise and take part in a darts tournament on TV. So you're one of the contestants, but who are the other seven contestants? This is question seven. Who are the other seven contestants? So these could be actual darts players, right? Or just people, famous or infamous or not famous, dead or alive. Anyone basically, like Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Well, not Jesus. <laughs> We're contemporary Jesus. Okay. Uh, I've kept it quite dart centric, right? Okay. So I don't actually think there's a lot of. Maybe it's because I like darts. I don't think there's a lot of value in a in a a, a comedy celebrity playing darts because they they actually did that for like comedy relief, and it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Although <laughs> Bob Mortimer was on it, and he was very funny. Okay, so just Bob, Bob Mortimer, maybe, but I've not included Bob, him. Okay, he's okay. he's in the sub. He's in the the someone pulls out. He'll be the first sub, right? Okay. Um, if I was in this tournament as well, I think what darts players miss is so they have their walkout music, which again is fun. They come out like wrestlers, but they pick it one day. They pick their walkout music when they become professional, and then they never get to change it. So oh. they walk out to incredibly dated music, right? Um, you know, people walk out to the boys are back in town. Uh, That's timeless. Why? Why would that be a bad thing? Well, you know what I mean. You want to change your vibe sometimes. You it's know, like kicking and wrestling a gimmick change, right? Yes, Gerwin Price walks out to Ice Ice Baby. You'll never, you, he'll never be able to change that. But He's again, I, I think that's because that's so old. I think it's okay if they were coming out to like The oh, Enemy okay. or like go on. On Michael Smith, right? Who's number one right now in the world? He walks out to uh, Shut Up and Dance. <laughs> Walk the Moon is that what yes, they were called? And he'll never ever be allowed to change that. You love that song. You love that song. I do love that song. Oh Jesus, that's awful! Right, okay. See that? Okay, great example. Pathetic. So I would like I, if I was if I was a darts player, I would like to change my music up regularly. And I think there's a there's room here with how televised it is for a young, cool darts player to emerge. Because I mean, it's like being like a I don't know. You get to just walk up, you stand still. It's all these big moments. You get your checkout. You get to turn and celebrate to the crowd. Somebody has to be cool one day. There's no cool darts players. Right. And okay. there's a young guy like Dimitri Vandenberg came about and he can dance. And he should have been the cool young darts player who's going to take the world by storm. And you could be a darts player making a couple million a year for 30 years if you want to, right? But he da- he comes out to Pharrell's Happy and he like does all this on stage and like does the robot and stuff. Mm. So the only person that the cool guy. He's, who does he think he is? Peter Crouch, am I right? There you go. Um, right, let, let's hear your the, the seven other players in this then. I'm not going to know who any of these people are probably. Well, number one, Michael Van Gerwen. I've heard of them, okay. okay. He comes out to Seven Nation Army and everyone goes, oh, Michael Van Gerwen. Okay. Fun. Uh, he's the big kind of villain slash best ever, in my opinion. Um, so I think he's got to be involved. I think that's just appropriate. Yep. Uh, Phil Taylor, second. Yep. So I can Phil, watch him get beat by Michael Phil, Van Gerwen. Phil the Power Taylor? Is that Phil right? Phil the Power Taylor. Okay. Uh, who clapped for Boris, if you remember that video on Twitter. Oh, Jesus. I, I, didn't, Boris. Uh, I don't, but uh, that checks out. So I'd like Michael Van Gerwen to beat him one last time to embarrass him in this nationally televised darts tournament. Um, Jockey Wilson, right? Yep. Again, probably a big Rangers man. Almost, I mean, it's a, like quite a Rangers sport, right? Um, but he had a very sad, uh, the progression of his life and career is very sad. And I think it would be nice to give one of these kind of legendary older darts players who had that big drinking culture and quite sad culture who he kind of flamed out and became a bit of a recluse. It'd be nice to bring him into the world of big money and sky sports and look like luxury as a sportsman, you know, and respect. So I think he would, that'd be appropriate for him. Okay. Nice. Yep. Um, Bully, the bull from Bullseye. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, did, did we ever see Bully play darts on Bullseye? I'm not sure oh, we didn't. did. He was only a cartoon. He Well, in, in the 80s, in the, or the early 90s uh, credits, he does hold on to the back of a dart as it flies yep. through the galaxy and into the Bullseye. That's right. It's a bullseye. Um, bullseye, I mean, there are probably people listening that, that won't know what Bullseye was. So for the younger listeners, explain what Bullseye was. Bullseye was a quiz show that had uh, teams of two. Somebody answered the questions, somebody threw the darts. And the rounds would vary from throwing it to the right category to just trying to get the highest score. Um, and the quality of the players would vary wildly, which is probably the best part of it. And Jim Bowen was a very problematic uh, presenter. There's a Jim Bowen after dinner speech on YouTube if you really want to see him problematic, uh, which is insane. Um, but the he, he gives up the secret. So Bullseye is famous for its prizes. And uh, if you won at the end, you could like, say, like, let's see what you could have won. And it was very often a speedboat. Yeah. And it was almost always a speedboat or a caravan. And he gave up the, the kind of secret that the reason it was always a speedboat is because when ITV were commissioning it, they didn't have a budget for it really. And they got a huge like wholesale deal on speedboats. <laughs> That's why everyone won it. And it'd be like someone from like Wigan that won a yep. speedboat, or like someone from I don't know, like um, yeah, uh, it was always very central. Yeah, and they'd have to share it as well, which is funny. <laughs> they'd share a kit. They'd share a new kitchen. Absolutely insane program, but very entertaining. Um, okay, so uh, bully from Bullseye, brilliant. So you've got three left. Uh, two left. Two left. Okay. Um, Sid Waddell, okay. legendary commentator of darts, uh, a real wordsmith. He died quite young. Um, really good way with words. Tons of ton of phrases that made the game really, really interesting. It was really fun. Um, there's ones like, um, the atmosphere's so tense. If Elvis walked in with a portion of chips, you'd hear the vinegar sizzle on them. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> fun Beautiful. Things that your granddad would like. Um and uh, yes, he's the the world championship trophy is named after him now. Okay, uh, so bring him back, and he can commentate as well as play. Um, and finally, in the World Cup of Darts, it's a tag team situation, mm-hmm. which again, very fun, just silly. One guy throws a dart, and then the, the teammate throws the next one. So when you're talking about like Austria, you've got one professional darts player in Mensur Suljevic, and the guy behind him might be a nobody. Maybe not Austria as a good example, but you know, there'll be a country where somebody's brilliant and the rest are all semi-professional and they'll have to play together, which is really good. That's really funny. Um, so in this scenario, I want Simon the Wizard Whitlock, who's okay. an Australian, and he has okay. dreadlocks. And he walks out to I come from a land down under. I want him to play with Ange Postacoglu <laughs> in the tag team. <laughs> bet Ange is good at uh... I, I was thinking this, I bet he's good at darts. He's probably good at all these little things that involve like a little bit of intel like a little bit of skill, a flick yeah. of the wrist. Probably good yeah. at all these things. Imagine I'm like cleaning up on a pool table, right? Mm. Being really good at darts. Yeah, okay, that's great. Love it. Um, so I'll, I will even forgive the extra player in there because it's um, I like it's the, pro- the premise for it. Uh, who's winning it? Uh, probably Michael Van Gerwen, if I'm being honest. Uh, but if Billy the Bull from Bullseye can pull out, you know, the kind of stuff he did in the credits, it's kind of his to lose. Aye, he's the the dark the dark bull of uh, this uh, oh, this tournament. Um, Superb, Lorenzo. Uh, enjoyed this immensely. Thank you very much for sharing uh, all about yourself and your your Celtic story. Your love of darts, your love of music, your love of Celtic and the women's team. Um, how's this been for you? Yeah, great. A very uh, uh, intense. Que- I think when I got the questions handed to me, the variety of them 
was uh, was quite a shock in a fun way. Um, I've listened to the other ones. I didn't know what to expect from mine, but um, I hope I give a good account of a fairly mental human being I feel like I'm going to come across as with some of these questions. Well, we've heard your podcast, but you know what you're like. Um, some some terrible takes, some excellent takes. It, it wouldn't be a Lorenzo Pacitti podcast without the old swerve, would it? Um, thank you very much, Benzo. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I've been Paul Carlin. He's been Lorenzo Pacitti. This has been Start and Living, and we'll speak to you next time.